to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack. And today our guest is Pete Reese. And he's actually from a royal bloodline. He's actually the great grandson of King Henry II. So that's super interesting to share this as well. But he's also the president of RealVest Properties, a land development and investment company. And with nearly two decades of real estate experience as a broker and investor, he successfully purchased and sold hundreds of pieces of real estate for profit over the years for himself and on behalf of his clients. And he's currently on track to earn $4 million in revenue in 2022 with his land flipping and development business. And he's also a father of three beautiful daughters. So Pete, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Great. I'm doing great, Eileen, and uh, great to be here. So Pete, can you share a little bit more about your background and how you got started with real estate? Well, it's been quite a long journey. Not all a smooth road, but a fun road, I could say. So it started, I guess, our first real estate, when I say our, that would be myself and my wife, Heather. Our first kind of investment in real estate was our own, you know, home that we bought in, I believe it was 2000. And that we bought it at the right time. And that home we ended up, I think only keeping a couple of years, we lived in for about a year and then rented it out for another year. And then we heard that you could take the profits tax-free. So we just ended up selling it. And that kind of got the bug, I guess, going. I guess it got us really interested in kind of the real estate world because we made, you know, for at the time we made, I don't know, something like $50,000. And that was like life-changing because we were a newly married couple. And that was like amazing to have that kind of lump sum. Then I started seeing these shows on TV with, you know, people flipping homes. And uh, I thought, hey, we could do that too. You know, I did some of the improvements on our first house And looking back, they were probably very low quality because I did them myself. But I did learn how to get into some of those things. And I knew enough that I should be hiring some of that stuff out. So about 2003, we started actively buying and flipping homes. And our first investment, you know, aside from our single family home that we bought was a property where we purchased it. We didn't do anything to it. And then we resold it right away. And actually, at the time, it was crazy because that's when they were doing 100% financing loans. So it was like an 80-20 kind of loan. And so we didn't put any money down. Maybe had to pay a little bit in closing costs. And then we resold it within, I don't know, 60 days, something like that. And we were like, this is amazing. This is too good to be true. (laughs) And we didn't even do anything with it because as soon as we bought it, someone contacted us and wanted to buy the house from us. So it was just one of those freak kind of situations, but it kind of really got us going into the real estate investing world. They're not all that easy for sure, but it was very interesting to start with. So it was so short, in fact, that our loan broker was like, hey, what's going on? (laughs) The the loan company called me and they don't want to pay me my commission because that's another thing I should mention. We actually didn't even have to pay our first payment. It was so quick that it just... Oh, wow. uh, the The way the timing worked out, so... One of those deals, but it did kind of launch us into doing more and more flips and everything. The real estate investment, whole real estate market in Southern California really took a dive in 2007 through 2009. 
And at that point, we kind of got scared off from the market and didn't do much investing ourselves. In the meantime there, I did get my broker's license, I think in 2006 in California here. So I started deal, working with some clients. I've done everything from working with luxury homes to investors. And then during the real estate crash, I got into working with banks as an REO listing broker. So selling properties for the banks. And then I got into doing short sales as well. Long story short, ended up eventually getting back to doing real estate investing ourselves. A couple of years ago, really got into flipping, land investing, and it's just kind of taken off from there. So, Oh, wow. Land flipping and land investing. Are you focused in that in the California market or outside of California? I've actually only sold a couple in California, but mostly other parts of the country. A lot of our properties ended up on the East Coast. So they're sort of the areas that we've been focusing on lately. And probably about 95, 97% of the properties I've never seen. Not in person, at least. <laughs> <laughs> and pictures. <laughs> yes, pictures. Yes. Because <laughs> land, one land, one piece of land versus another piece of land. I mean, there's not too much to see <laughs> in terms yes. of like what's there. Yes. It's really interesting. You learn how to... I mean, I don't know that this business really would... The way I do it now would have really been possible even 10 years ago. We have so many good apps and resources at our fingertips that we're able to find out so much about a property, you know, with just from our computer screen. So we're able to find out most of what we need to know. And then we've developed great partners on the ground that can go out and actually do the physical inspection on the property, get out there, check it out. We always work with brokers to resell the properties for us. So they always give us their opinion, you know, what they think they could resell the property for as well. But how long typically do you hold the piece of land? And yeah, what is a typical hold time for the land that you're purchasing? About 60 days. 60 days. Right. Yeah, I know. Most people, and I was in this camp too, I always thought that land was one of those things that, yes, there's good profit potential. Yes, you can make money on it, but you have to be prepared to hold it for a long time. And that can still be the case if you're doing the business in a certain way. But really the way that we do it is that we buy off market. So we buy at a price that's really pretty aggressive. And those are the only properties that we buy. So we buy at a price that's pretty aggressive and at a price where we can still market it at an aggressive price so we can generate a sale really quickly. What do you look for in land in terms of criteria, location, and who's the end buyer that you're looking for? Right. That's evolved a little bit over time. We really typically look for quality properties. And by quality properties, I mean, we're trying to avoid some of the major things. There's a lot of properties out there that are what I would consider kind of junk properties. You know, that may not be a kind term, but but really they have a major problem with them. You know, like it could be it's landlocked. It could be that it's just a big swamp. It could be that it's some really odd shape that no one would want. You know, so most of the properties we buy at this point really are at least 10 acres. So they're more of the rural nature, you know. And as I've gone along here, I've kind of tried to focus on bigger and bigger and bigger properties because that's where the more profit potential is. But, you know, we just try to avoid a lot of the major stuff and positive things like if a property has road frontage, if it's relatively flat or at least rolling topography, if it's not wetlands. There's some nice timber or trees on the property that always helps. 
So we try to avoid the real big downfalls. And then we also look for some of the other things which could make it appealing for an end buyer. And the end buyers typically are maybe someone looking to build a home site, could be someone looking for just kind of a recreational property, or it could be another sort of a larger landowner in the area that looks to accumulate properties. And there are a lot of them out there as well. So walk us through this process. Like, let's say you get a property, a piece of land that comes through your inbox. What do you do to start to validate or start the evaluation process of whether or not you're going to go ahead and purchase this price or purchase this property? And then like in terms of how far does it have to be from the city? What are some other metrics that you look at? You also mentioned you buy an aggressive price. If you can share maybe that price point that you look for as well. Sure. Well, our rule of thumb, kind of going backwards on your questions, the last one first, like our kind of rule of thumb is we're always trying to double our money. So if we buy a property for $50,000, we would love to be able to sell it for $100,000. Now, in reality, that doesn't always work out. You know, sometimes we'll buy it for fifty and sell it for eighty thousand at the end of the day, which is still pretty good, <laughs> especially if you're only days. Going sixty <laughs> days. Yes. <laughs> You know, we've had ones where we've only made $1,000 on them, but I haven't, knock on wood, haven't lost money on a property yet. So getting back to some of the other questions, you know, like what the process looks like, we generate all of our business with direct mail. So we send out just a ton of letters and these are specific letters to property owners. And then we also narrow it down like, hey, we're mailing in certain areas or certain acreage ranges within those areas. And then we're just kind of seeing what comes back. People will either call in, they'll email us, they'll also send us mail back sometimes. And uh, at this point, I've got a team built. So I've got a team member that enters in everything into our CRM system. And he's got a checklist of things that he prepares so we can evaluate the properties pretty quickly. We use an app called MapRite, and that gives us a ton of information about the properties themselves. We're actually able to look at all the satellite images. We're able to see the contours. We're able to see if there's wetlands. We're able to see if it's in the FEMA flood zone, road frontage, all this kind of stuff. So there's a checklist of a number of those different things that we go through initially. And then we're talking to the... I've got another team member that's our acquisition manager. And her job is just to get on the phone or by email or text and kind of communicate with the seller and kind of... uh go down another list of questions about the property just to kind of dig in and try to figure out as much as we can about the property without actually being there. (laughs) And then we could tell generally right away if it's a decent property. We're also looking at comps. And we're not a member of all these different MLS services around the country. So for the most part, we're using Zillow. And you can look at land comps on Zillow like you can you know, home comps. So we're checking comps. And then we're looking at all those different comps and trying to find the best ones, getting an idea how fast they sold on the market and if they were priced too high, if they were priced right initially and how long they took to sell. We also look at metrics for a particular area. Is there more demand than supply? Is it pretty balanced or is there more supply on the market than demand? And in those cases, we would know we would have to be priced uh, super aggressive in order to get a quicker sale. What typically goes into those mailers when you send them out? Yeah, we send actual offers. Like we put a price on there and... uh, So they're customized to each property that you're sending it to. Exactly. Yeah. So we're using averages for certain areas. And these are things that we look at ahead of time. We might say, 
this certain county, you know, kind of sells for an average of like, we can retail it for maybe 5,000 an acre on average. And then we back off a certain percentage of that. And then we put that in our uh, offer price. And then it's just a big mail merge and it gets sent out and mailed to thousands and thousands of people every month. So some people don't like receiving those type of offers in the mail, unfortunately, but we're not looking. I realize it's not going to be a solution for everyone, but some people that are interested in looking for a quick cash sale, you know, that's, those are the people that we're able to deal with. So, Got it. What percentage do you think is your conversion rate? Based off of the mailers we send, it's very, very low. Like very low. Like we send out Probably this year, I've sent out about an average of 50,000 letters oh. a month. Wow, a month, 50,000 amount, a month. A month, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you, I'm very picky at this point. At first, I used to send out a lot less letters, and I would go forward with properties that maybe were a little bit more marginal. So at this point, I'm kind of looking just for the cream of the crop, and we probably don't go as forward. You know, if I wanted to be more aggressive, I could definitely go forward with some more properties. There's a lot more people interested. We get a lot of responses on things, but it kind of has to check all the boxes for me at this point because I know where the stumbling blocks are. You know, at this point, I know like what properties, what mistakes I don't want to make again, I guess. (laughs) So what would be one of the biggest mistakes that you made that you wouldn't want to repeat? Mm -hmm. One of the first properties I bought was... Now, this wasn't a loss by any means, but it was just kind of a pain. So what the property was, it was a... I think it was something like a 14-acre property. And it came back and they were interested in selling it. And it had... I think the offer price we gave them was, I don't know, something like $20,000, which is, you know, on the surface sounds good. Then I looked at it on the map. It was completely landlocked property, which is... At this point, I don't buy landlock anymore, but <laughs> uh, but anyhow, this is a landlock property. So we went back to them and it had some wetlands and it just in a major city. So it didn't really, it was kind of weird. It was kind of like a long, narrow, weird shape. And I was kind of like, hey, you know, there's not really anything I could do with this property. If you want to sell for $3,000, we'll buy it for that. And I was thinking it was like a price so low that they would just say, you know, like, we're not interested. But they came back and they said, okay, we'll do it. And then I thought, okay, well, I guess I'm <laughs> buying this landlocked, you know, $3,000 property. So I thought, well, I can easily sell it for $15,000 on the market. And I tried and no one was interested. Well, I got lots of interest, but, you know, and everyone's like, well, what am I going to do with it? You know, that type of thing. Anyhow. Long story short, probably four or five months later, I did end up selling it. I think I ended up selling it for 5500 or something like that. So I still made a profit. It was a pain in the butt. I didn't make much of anything on it. And then that's kind of where I came up with one of my rules is I'm not buying landlocked properties anymore. So I know that there's a lot of investors that actually buy those properties and do very well with them. It's just for me and for what I'm looking to do, it just doesn't work out. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, 
and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. In comparison to like the comparables when you're doing the comparisons against it, what is a typical like price point or average that you're looking for to be able to purchase the property for? And then what's the average return or sell price that you're looking to sell it to another buyer? Mm-hmm. Well, at this point, you know, I'm trying to focus on properties that are actually 50,000 or more. I used to go down to, you know, that 3,000 was the cheapest property I ever bought. Most expensive was uh, 300,000. But, you know, like kind of the range that I want to be in is at least 50,000 all the way up to got one we're buying right now is 450,000. So it's just kind of a big range. You have to do all cash. There's no financing with land. So it's a matter of, you know, like, do you want to commit $450,000 to buy a piece of land, even though you think you could double that? I mean, that's kind of a big gamble once. But so, you know, we try to double our investment every time. It doesn't always work out that way. I'd say on average, we're probably in the gross margin of 40 to 45% somewhere in there. So, got it. In terms of like demographics, do you look at a percent like how much of the population lives in that area? What are some of the other metrics in that area? Do you evaluate? to make sure that this would match what you're looking to do with that land property? Mm -hmm. Most of the time, we're looking at kind of the number of sales versus the number of listings. Kind of like one of the major metrics I look at is like in this area, in this kind of range of acreages, say I take a county and it's Johnson County, something like that. I take a look at like all the properties that are 10 to 100 acres and how many have sold in the past 12 months there. And then I look at, well, how many are on the market? So if there's 100 that have sold in that range in the past 12 months and there's 50 on the market, that's pretty good. You know, there's that's like about six months of inventory, I guess you could say, on average. If there's 200 listings and only 100 have sold, that's pretty bad. That's like two years worth of listings. So that's kind of the major thing. I mean, I like kind of looking at a major metro area and taking like the area is kind of like a big circle around it, you know, like a radius of an hour to two out of that. But it doesn't really restrict me, really. You know, if I'm in a state that I like working in, as long as I see kind of things, properties moving there, I'm fine to to go for it. Because one thing I have learned that as long as you can price a property right, a uh, piece of land and it's a decent piece of land, it will sell. So how do you typically price or value the land? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm really on broker partners that we establish. So each area, you know, kind of like all of our major areas, like one of the first things I do is try to find someone that's like a land specialist broker. And I call them up, have a conversation. And being that I'm a real estate broker myself, I know kind of what's involved. I know kind of what to look for, like if someone's going to do a good job for us or not. So I just go through some of those basic questions with them and see if there's a good rapport. And then I kind of like explain to them, hey, we'll send you, you know, as many listings as we can. But one thing I need help with is your opinion on what you think you could resell the property for. And I explain to them, hey, we're not looking to get top dollar, even though that would be nice. But our main thing is we want to sell a property quickly. So 
we realize we're going to have to discount it a little bit to do that. So, you know, what do you think it would take to, to, you know, sell it in 30 to 60 days? So. So are you finding the sellers through your broker relations or are there other ways that you're finding the sellers as well and lining them up as you have these land under contract? Oh, as far as finding the sellers themselves, it all comes from public tax records. Oh, I'm so, sorry, buyers. Oh, the buyers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sorry. Uh, yeah, we <laughs> we get pretty much everything listed on the MLS. And the only time, and then we use the local brokers to do that. So even though I'm a broker here in California, I don't take any, you know, I'm not looking for any sort of, we pay full commissions to them, top commissions. So I'd rather them like really be interested and motivated to sell the property. So and sometimes, you know, if they're really good, they've got buyers in their pocket already, like looking for this type of property in that sort of area. And they're kind of talking to their potential buyers as we're working through the process to buy a property. So that happens sometimes. So that's really the only time it doesn't get lessened on the MLS is if we find a buyer ahead of time. Got it. So also you mentioned that when you're purchasing land, it has to be an all cash. So there's no financing on these land properties. Mm -hmm. If you're buying fifty to $450,000 worth of land, how are you getting all the cash? Is it through investors? Is it through yourself? Or are you getting like private money lending as well? How does that kind of work on the financing side? Like if somebody doesn't have like the fifty to four hundred fifty thousand right. yeah, dollars to put yeah, all cash down. Well, it's tough. And I didn't start, you know, doing the bigger deals like that. I've kind of parlayed it higher and higher over the past couple of years. But at this point we do everything self-funding ourselves, able to build up a pretty good slush fund for that type of stuff. But in this business, there are people that will partner with you. You know, if you decide or if you don't have the capital to put towards these deals, there are people in kind of this land investing niche where they'll actually partner with you. They'll put up the money and then they split the profits with you. So if you've got a good deal, there are people that will be happily partner with you. So if somebody wanted to get started, where would be the best place that they would start looking for potential land investment opportunities? Well, you kind of have to generate those opportunities. I mean, the first thing I would start with is education. It's a matter of like figuring out how the business model works and then kind of trying to focus in on how you're thinking you're going to do it. Because there's a lot of different niches. There's people that will just buy up desert squares, as they call them, you know, like one to five acre parcels in the middle of the desert that they can buy for 500 and then they sell to people on payments and they get a great return on that but it's really hard and then you're basically a servicer a bank loan servicer so it's a whole different business really than what i'm doing so it's a matter of like getting the education and figuring out like your particular model within the land investing side of things you could also get into doing stuff like development that's very lucrative. You could do minor and major subdivisions. Minor subdivision being, in most cases, you're looking at taking, say, a 10-acre parcel, and then you're splitting it into five two-acre parcels and then selling them off individually. That's very lucrative. And a major subdivision would be something like mapping out like a whole major subdivision and then selling it off to a developer. So that's kind of a home run type thing right there if you, if you get into that. But it's a home run, but those take a lot longer to sell. You have to put a lot a lot of money into the uh, engineering and that side of things. And you're not going to have any cash flow in the meantime if you're doing those type of projects. 
what are some of the markets or if there are any markets that you would avoid or you particularly don't care to invest in? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm definitely not one to do the desert squares because I just don't see long term like what the point is. Maybe there are people that want to like live out in the middle of the desert or something like that, but it's not high enough dollar really to to be interesting for me. It would be tough to make the kind of money I want to make if I'm selling $2,000 parcels. It would just take a lot, a lot of overhead. And I'm not saying it can't be done. It's just not the business model I want to do. So personally, I think it's a matter of finding states with a lot of activity, a lot of land transactions, where there's active markets, people looking to buy land either for recreation or for housing, or maybe the area in general is kind of growing and kind of focusing your efforts in places like that. You have to decide too, are you going to be self-funding your stuff or are you going to be you know, using maybe a partner to help you fund it? Because that's a consideration as well. Because it may not be a good idea to kind of, you know, send out mail in San Diego County or something like that when the price per acre is like so incredibly high. It might be better to send it off to somewhere in the southeast or maybe Midwest or somewhere where the price per acre is lower. So, you know, so you don't have to spend so much out of pocket in order to get a deal and start get the process going. Got it. So when you're purchasing these land properties through the direct mailing, it's like a one, they're off market. So they're one to one. So you're not competing with other people. How about on the sell side, when you go to list the properties, how is the market on that side of things in terms of demand on the people who are actually looking to buy land? How does that environment look like? It's actually really pretty good. You know, Obviously, everyone is concerned about the real estate market right now and the direction it's going. We haven't noticed much of a drop-off. I'm not saying that that's not going to happen because I do think that it probably will drop off a little bit. But in the areas that we've been working in, it's the demand is actually pretty good still. And the interesting thing about this business is the fact that, you know, since our hold times are about 60 days, it allows us to adapt like really pretty quickly. And we're buying at prices that are really pretty aggressive. So I feel in most cases, if the market started really dropping or whatever, we could get out of a lot of these properties pretty quickly, you know, at least for what we paid for them on the downside. So, you know, it's one of those things that we're going to be adjusting. If the market goes down, we're going to be adjusting our buy prices down. But there's been pretty good demand. And as long as you're priced aggressively and it's a good property, right now there are buyers out there. And what's next for you, Pete? What's next? Just trying to build our business. And like, I'm trying to get to 4 million in revenue this year. I think I'm on track. So, and then as part of that, what doesn't show up into those figures is the constantly trying to build our portfolio value of the real estate we own. So there's the revenue. And then there's also the value of the real estate that we have that's either in escrow or, you know, being marketed right now as well. And some of those things, I do have a couple of properties that are kind of a longer term old properties. So they could be uh, one of them in particular is a property that we're marketing as a subdivision. And I know that the marketing on that's taking a little longer, but once we do sell it, it'll be a bigger payday. The other thing that I think is a really big opportunity that I'm learning about and trying to get my education up on is the renewable energy and how that ties into maybe developing a solar farm or multiple solar farms or something something like that. So I think that's the future. 
And I think there's a lot of opportunity in those areas. Oh, yes. I remember driving out to like Las Vegas area. And if you look in that direction, there is like this huge solar farm that was just built. And I never really paid attention until recently. I'm like, what is that? And then I realized that it's a solar farm. It's huge. You know, it's interesting because the more I dig into it, the more interested I am about it because you can get financing for it. It basically turns your piece of land into an income property, which is kind of like, you know, your tenants are your solar panels. And yes, you have to maintain them and wash them and, you know, keep them happy, I guess. But there's not going to be any, you know, tenant complaints or anything along those lines. So, And Pete, how has real estate investing impacted your life? Well, it's been great. I was just thinking the other day and talking to my wife, Heather, I haven't had what I consider like a job, you know, like going to work for someone else since 1999. And a lot of that's because of the fact that I was able to get involved in real estate investing and kind of the real estate market in general. So it's given me ultimate flexibility. And it's also been great for my kids. I'm teaching them everything I know about the land investing business. And they actually... I've been sending them some of the smaller deals that we've got, and they've actually done really well. And they've parlayed, they started with 8000 and now they've parlayed that up into about $65,000. Wow. Right so, yeah. Yeah. And they're, you know, 20 and 22. So, you know, I wish I would have had that when I was their age. So, oh my gosh, imagine the runway on that. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's exciting. And I think they've sold, it's either three or four properties at this point. I think four properties, but. Oh. hands-on experience. Yes. So I'm trying to get them to do as much as possible, but helping them along the way as much as I can. And if there was one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started, what would that be? (sighs) Well, I wish I knew about land investing way before I figured it out. That's really the main thing. I mean, that's a whole nother niche that I was just completely unaware of. So I wish I knew about that. And what sets the successful people apart in real estate investing? In real estate investing, really, it's about getting a model, like taking a business model that's proven that either you don't have to come up with it yourself. You just need to emulate maybe someone else that's successful that's doing a particular model and something that kind of aligns with, you know, what you think your strengths are. And then just going all in on that and kind of duplicating that over and over and over again and not getting sidetracked. So just getting better and better and better at that, trying to grow your revenue, do more deals, track everything, and just keep it going. So you get into trouble when you start you know, freelancing and getting into all these different things and trying and investing in this one asset class and another asset class, and then you get pulled in too many different directions. It's tough to be successful that way. And Pete, where can I listeners find out more about you and what you're doing? Yeah, I've actually got doing monthly income reports on our business. So trying to detail, be as transparent as possible, detail uh, deals that we do every month, revenue that we do every month, gross profit that we do on on each of those deals and got them written up in monthly income reports. So you can follow my progress there. You can find it at turningprofit.com. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Pete. Well, thanks. I mean, I appreciate everything. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? 
We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Sayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Sayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.